Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 through 16 is our text, and the message entitled, Study to Not Be Deceived. The purpose of the gifted men given to the church by Christ is clearly stated here in Ephesians, as we've seen. There are six things that describe the purpose of these gifted men to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The first three deal with spiritual growth from verse 11 to 13. They are as follows. In 11, for the benefit of the body of Christ. In 12, for the equipping of the body of Christ. And in 13, for the maturing of the body of Christ. Those were the first three. The last three describe the purpose of the gifted men given to the church, dealing with spiritual deception. This is our text, 14 through 16. Let me read our text for us. 14 through 16 here of Ephesians. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joint and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself. And love. And so he describes it as the following here regarding the spiritual deception. First, notice verse 14 for the protection against false teaching. Secondly, in 15, for personal witness of the truth. And then 16, for proper perspective in relationship to Christ. Ephesians is an incredible epistle. Jew and Gentile one, sitting in the heavenlies, the wealth, the walk, the warfare. That's where we live, every generation. Let's begin here with the first. Notice for the protection against false teaching. Look at verse 14. The Apostle Paul here declared the purposeful outcome of a mature believer, because this is connected to what proceeds is that they not be spiritually deceived. Listen to his words, that we should no longer be children. Paul introduces the purpose clause by the word that, the word henna. It's called a henna clause by the Greek scholars. In order that, so that, there's a purpose. The metaphor is that of a child, as you can see. The prohibition is in the negative, that we should no longer and the prohibition here in the negative, the implication being is that Christians that are not growing in the word of God and maturing can be deceived and more easily deceived. We think of a child as God gives them to us and they're growing and they begin to get a little older and we let them go to the park or go here or go there. We know that they're still children and they can be duped deceived, convinced by someone else. They don't have the life experience. And so here the parallel with this. 
The tense is the present active. This is constantly a condition and a possibility. The person of a child is represented in the defenseless, dangerous position. The word there, children, means an infant. One untaught, unskilled, unable. Communicating lack of proficiency with his thinking and speech. And so it's a parallel to the spiritually condition of people. Stop and think when you first came to the Lord. You knew you were born again. You knew Jesus was God. You know he died for your sins. But there's a lot of things you didn't know. And if somebody taught you some crazy doctrine, there's no way for you to judge it at first, right? Because you don't have the experience or the knowledge. The same here. And so the person of a child is presented in this defenseless, dangerous position. And the word stands in sharp contrast to the mature believer. You have the immature, you have the mature. You have the child, you have the adult. And that you can contrast in verse 13. So the spiritual infant is deceived easier than a mature believer. It doesn't mean that a mature believer cannot be deceived. People are deceived all the time about many different things when they're adults, even in the Lord. The believer recently born again as a spiritual infant, therefore he needs milk, as 1 Peter 2, 2 says. Desiring the sincere milk of the word, literally the unadulterated milk. When that baby comes home, milk is given to him, not a steak. And that baby is ready to eat like a little bird. He just, that should be the hunger if you're born again. Desiring the sincere milk of the word. In other words, you know, you begin with it. We begin with teaching the new believers courses. You understand the foundation of your faith. And then when you're done with that in three months, we, that you're already coming, you get into the regular studies and they're more in depth. They're, 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 they, we go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We do in depth studies. We, we do series at times so that you're growing from every perspective. It's important. There are spiritual infants in an arrested state by their own disobedience to not grow in maturity, unable to discern truth and error regarding the scriptures. Paul calls them carnal as babes in Christ in 1 Corinthians 3.1. The Corinthians were being deceived by the Judaizers and the false apostles of Christ, and they were bad-mouthing Paul and believing the lies. And he says, are you not carnal? Some say I'm Apollos, some of Peter, and some who think they're really spiritual. I'm of Christ. Are you not carnal? Are you not 100% beef? There's a lot of carnality in the church. Willfully. Some people are 30 years old in the Lord, but they only have 30 days knowledge. They're still wetting their pants, scraping their knees, sucking on their thumb. That's not a very pretty picture, is it? But that's the case. The author of Hebrews, as you know, reproves carnal Christians that should have been teaching others, yet they still needed to be taught the word and need milk, not solid food, the meat of the word in Hebrews 5.13. And so sometimes people that introduce Christ to a person and they come to Christ, that person, even though that person may be 10 years in the Lord, that new believer will pass them up 
because they're in a restless state through disobedience, through not being responsible to grow in Christ Jesus. At other times, spiritual infanthood and immaturity is the fault of the pastor for not teaching the Word of God. That's a reality. Many, many churches do not teach the Word of God, especially today. They, when, when they hear, I, I teach Leviticus from the pulpit on Sunday morning, Sunday night, or the book of Ecclesiastes, or any of those books, or Jeremiah, they go, what? Well, what are you going to give the people? You got 66 books. Got to go through them. Every generation. And so notice, still in 14, the Apostle Paul declared the measure of the deception is an interesting and very, here given in a very picturesque way, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. That's very vivid. Paul portrays the instability of the person about doctrine by other metaphors here. The phrase tossed to and fro is a nautical term, meaning to be tossed by waves. Now, we've all been out in the ocean, and when the waves get kind of nasty, you think you're cool, and you end up eating a pound of sand. Um, you can get hurt. A very picturesque picture here. The word, or the root word, is used of the raging waters Jesus rebuked in Luke. 8.24, when be still. The word is also used to depict a man who um, doubts being like the waves driven to and fro in James 1.6, that unstable man bringing damage to himself. The picture is of drifting, of course, from the faith, unaware book of Hebrews, remember, picks that up in chapter 2, verse 1. Do not drift from what you know. It just takes a little. We've all been out in the ocean. You're out there swimming, you know, and you're riding the waves, and you know, you left, you went out at lifeguard station 2, and you're going to come in, and you're down to 17. And you say, how the heck did I get down here? One wave at a time. One step at a time, it happens vulnerable to accept anything, indecisive about everything, in danger of rejecting the truth about everything. If there is no potential for Christians to be deceived, why all the warnings? The non-believer is deceived already. You evangelize them. These are Christians. And so Paul's notice portrays the confusion of the person about doctrine. The phrase carries about there has the idea of swinging about in circles violently, making one dizzy and confused, affecting one's balance and inability to head in the proper direction. You ever have vertigo? <laughs> can't hold your balance. You think you're falling off a cliff. This is a good picture. The word is used of spinning tops. You get dizzy, you can't discern. And the word wind depicts violent, tempestuous, unstable, 
and destructive air. So the picture, once again, is very, very vivid of the danger towards the believer. It depicts a person being swept and led away from the faith. The first step is drifting. You know, when a plane takes off and it reaches the end of the runway, if it's off one degree, it's insignificant at the end of the runway. But if he's traveling 2,000 miles, he'll never reach his destination. The farther out he gets, the further he gets. Drifting here a little bit, one degree, two, three, five, 10, 20, 50, 100, gone. That's what happens. Through the um, 40 plus years we've been here and taught the word of God, we've seen many families Many generations of people grow up as kids in here, and we've seen many be deceived. Because the thing is that, well, I, I know the Word of God. I'm amazed at how many people say, well, you know, no, I heard this guy, and, you know, he's really good. Um, he, he, man, everything I heard was biblical. I said, what's his name? I said, he's off the wall. There's a difference between being able to memorize engine parts, lifting up the hood, that's a carburetor, that's a manifold, that's a coil, that's a battery. But a mechanic, he knows how it works. Too many Christians memorize things, but they can't handle the Word of God. But they're able to. Here's the potential. Here's the accountability. When the Word of God is being taught, then your responsibility is to study hard to apply yourself very much so. The problem, notice, is doctrine. The daskalia, false teaching that depicts all things that are opposed to the truth of the gospel in order to deceive people. The non-believer, these false teachers, they don't try to deceive unbelievers. They're deceived already. You go after the ones who know the truth. Notice the measure is every. The word means all, every, and any. The warning is the numerous teachings that are not the truth of the word of God, but lies that will damn people to hell. Too often today, as we've seen the progressive deterioration and compromise of the church, that often today the emergent church says, oh, we don't, we don't, we don't want, to want to fight about doctrine. We just want to love one another. So that's the new mantra, universalism. Now, what makes us the family of God is that we're born again and we believe the same truth. You better fight about doctrine. You believe the wrong doctrine and you teach something that's heretical about Jesus Christ. Do you think you can get in? And you've been teaching it to others and deceiving them, whether you know it or not, doesn't matter. Very important. The warning is the numerous teachings that are not truth. And there are myriads out there. The new and um, sensational movements 
that offer the miraculous as credentials for genuineness or new and added revelation based on experience. The postmodern movement of the emergent church that denies the inerrancy and infallibility of the scriptures and the majority of seminaries and Christian colleges also and churches. Teaching that we cannot learn any objective truth from the word of God. Really? Why did God tell us to study? Why is it that God will hold us accountable for his word? Every lie can be cleared up when you go back to Genesis. When God told Adam and Eve, the day that you eat, you will surely die. Do you believe Adam understood it? Of course he did. And when Satan came and said, ah, oh, surely you will not die, has God said, that should have been a red flag. But they chose to believe the lie. It is a choice, by the way. Hebrews 13:9 says, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. Doctrines, the trinity, sanctification, glorification, salvation, the gifts of the spirit, the rapture. Doctrine is very, very important. Jude, uh, only one chapter, verse 12, says that they are spots, clouds carried about by the winds. They come here, there, everywhere, wherever they can go deceive. Now notice the last part of 14, the Apostle Paul declared the manner and the means of deception by another vivid imagery. He says, by the trickery of man in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So the manner is clearly stated by trickery of men. Trickery comes from the word cube or die, the ideas of a dice holding two sets of dice, playing fraud to win, switching bait. <laughs> Amazing. They twist the truth to lead astray. They disguise the lie to lead astray. They are helpless, deceived, and drift away one step at a time. This is the only time, by the way, it appears in the New Testament here, the word trickery. Now, notice the meaning is twofold and clearly stated. They deceive by cunning craftiness, which means um, treacherous. Um, treacherous deceit, depicting character of being wise concerning evil. You can have no better illustration of wise concerning evil than our generation, our politicians, and the globalism that's going on. Evil to the max, but it's nothing compared to when the Antichrist comes. This is all a rehearsal for the Antichrist. Jesus used the word to depict the treachery of the Pharisees in Luke 20, 23. Paul used it for the treacherous deception of the serpent towards Eve in 2 Corinthians 11.3. If 
Believers cannot be deceived again. Why does Paul warn believers always? Many of the epistles are polemic, defending against the attack against the faith. Great deception. First John, Colossians, Corinthians, Galatians, many of them. And so notice their deception is of deceitful plotting, which means to use every method and devise systematically to figure out how to teach the air to deceive. You know, people go to school and they try to get prepared for life, or they find a trade and they do their best and they can mature and all that. Then you've got the thieves, right? they rather study ways that they can take it away from you while you're at work when they break in your house, right? You got two opposite things. You got those who are doing good to society and those who are doing great damage to society. You got the same in the church. No different. The article present, the air or deceit, is there. They are deliberate, patient, and vigilant, looking to lay out traps to deceive and lead astray spiritual infants. Willful. The old King James has, they lie in wait to deceive. The Proverbs deals a lot with that. My son, do not take counsel with those who lie in wait to do evil and everything. Get away from them. They will grow worse and worse, by the way, deceiving and being deceived, 2 Timothy 2.13. Now, people say the world's getting better and better. Really? Are you asleep or are you awake? They speak evil of the things they do not understand, 2 Peter 2.12 says. And so the way they use the, the, um, they, the trained bank tellers, if you remember way back, is they would... Put them alone, and they would give them genuine bills to touch them, to look at them, to analyze them. They didn't give them a thousand fake bills. They gave them the genuine. So when someone would come across the bank and give them a bill, the minute they touched it, they couldn't even feel the difference. You detect the falls because you know the real, the genuine. Very important. These are people that are bad. There's a false teaching of positive confession, health and wealth has been going on for easy 40 years. And it's your divine right to be wealthy and healthy. And if you have a cold, don't say it, because if you say negative, you're going to get it. Well, you got it. And if you say you don't got it, now you're a liar. The only one getting wealthy is the pastors, not the people. The false teaching of imagery, inner healing, came in the 80s. Did you imagine in your mind the Lord touching you, you're, you're sick or whatever, and Jesus walks up to you and kind of just touches you and just wishes it away? That's new age. It's mind over matter. It's not biblical. People buy it. The Jesus Calling. Some of you have bought that book. Burn it in the trash. Sarah Young. She gets her 
dictations directly from Jesus? Come on. Sells millions of copies. Because there's a lot of stupid Christians. Not taught. Wow. The Shack, you remember back in the 80s? <laughs> Another book. Many. The teaching that, that we're little gods. The same deception that Adam and Eve fell for. All you will become gods just like he. Really? It's a Mormon doctrine. Not a Christian doctrine. Wow. The teaching of being drunk in the spirit. And so you stumble around in the spirit, and now here you have a whole dog pile of men and women all together. Really? Wow. Or laughing in the spirit uncontrollably as evidence of your spirituality? Wow. And people think that's a work of the spirit? God said he's not the author of confusion. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. The false teaching of auras, John Wimber, the late John Wimber of Signs and Wonders, he used to be part of Calvary Chapel, and then he divided Calvary Chapel. He used to teach here at Fuller Seminary with Wagner, who took the chair of McGavern for church growth. Heresies. So they look at you and they can see auras around you and, and I can go on to other doctrines they taught. Off the wall. How do you get there one step at a time? The movement of signs and wonders. The more signs they did, the more we wondered. The false teaching of contemplative prayer through labyrinths and prayer stations. Tapping into demons, very popular, especially the last decade. Azusa Pacific, Fuller Seminary, all kinds of churches. Wow. The entire emergent church movement with the postmodern varieties of false teaching denied the objective truth of the Bible, bottom line. Nothing new. False teachers will always target young believers not grounded and rooted in the word. But grounded believers can also be deceived. Because sometimes believers get to the place where they think they know it all. And they're looking for something new, something fresh. Now well, be careful what you eat. It affects you. Listen to um, 2 Timothy 4, 2-4 says... Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound. The word is, we get our word hygiene from that word. Doctrine. Healthy doctrine. But according to their own desires, <clears throat> because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the fables. You cannot turn away from the truth if you're not at the truth. That's not a non-believer. That's a believer. So if you're a Calvinist, you've got a lot of problems about eternal security. You've got a lot of problems with your tulip. 
which is a dead tulip. There's nothing biblical in it at all. And so the resulting purpose of the gifted men is for the protection against false teaching. Simple, but so important, valuable. Now look at verse 15. Next comes the personal witness of the truth. So Paul the Apostle declared <clears throat> the actual result of the spiritual mature believer being a witness of the truth uh, against deception here. He says, but speaking the truth in love. So here's the flip side of it. Paul points out that a believer has uh, stability opposed um, to the non-believer, the one being deceived, and to oppose and to confront the deceptive teaching. You're, you're, you're standing on the rock, the word but marks the contrasting conjunction here. Rather than allowing oneself to be deceived, the believer speaks up. They say, well, you know, you're going you're to be a little God. No, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. Show me where you, where you believe that. This is the context. You're completely off the wall. This is not what the Bible is saying. Confront them right there. Sometimes people come up and, you know, and I... And I say, hi, how are you doing? Are you new to the church? He says, oh, we've been coming for a little while. Okay, great. <clears throat> he said, oh, yeah, this is my girlfriend. We just uh, um, got an apartment together. We're living together here. I go, you what? I said, do you know that God doesn't hear your prayers? You're living in fornication. And you tell me you're a Christian? I don't say make an appointment with me. I tell him right there. People don't want to do that. People want to be liked. They don't want confrontation. We have great responsibility, ladies and gentlemen. And so rather than allowing oneself to be deceived, one speaks up. Rather than being and remaining silent, the believer exposes the false teaching. The believer is to speak notice the truth. Truth, Alicia, literally meaning truthing. Living and doing in defense of the truth, a participle, present, active. You do this all the time, whenever it calls for, whenever the need is there. The word appears only one other time in the New Testament. It says, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Galatians 6, 4, 16. They were being deceived by the Judaizers. Because I tell you the truth, now you're mad at me? Is it because I don't love you? Is it because I hate you? Wow. Christians reveal the truth about the word of God opposed to the lies regardless of personal cost and word and indeed knowing that all are blind and lost in sin and error. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me in Acts 1.8. Witness of the truth. First to him, then for him. Listen to 2 Peter 2.1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bringing on themselves swift destruction. These guys are in the church, not outside the church. Judas Iscariot are not outside the church, they're in the church. Please remember that. Notice Paul pointed out that the motive of a believer it's love. Very important. Agape. This is the word. 
God's agape love. It's not based on emotional, mental love. Phileo. It's not based on that. It's God's love for that person knowing they are lost or being deceived. Agape is not based on sexual love. Eros. Agape love is not based on family love. Storge. Yet if you yield to agape love, then all those other three areas of love are going to blossom rather than be abused or neglected. Agape love is the gas to everything else that works. Agape love is why and how I'm doing it. God alone knows my heart. I cannot <clears throat> judge the motive of your heart. I can judge your actions. And I can say what you did is wrong, what you said is wrong, but I don't know why you said it. Some people say, well, I'm not judging. Everybody else is preface, shut up, I'm just judging. You're supposed to judge. And then you get in your car, you judge if that's a red light or green light or a yellow light. And you better make the right judgment, or you might not get to the next light. Everybody tries to protect themselves in this nanny state of a bunch of little girls. It's amazing. Where are the men today in our nation? Amazing to me. Love is for the lost and the deceived believer about the gospel. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the bottom line is God is preparing us for eternity. Too often we get focused on what's here. Nothing wrong with here, and nothing wrong with the house, nothing wrong with the car, nothing wrong with this and that, but that's not the goal. The goal is to make sure that when you give your last breath, you're going to be instantly present before the Lord and be with him for eternity. Eternity is a long time. It never ends. <laughs> this life is going to end, okay? Wow. And so the, this love is the outgrowth of love for God and the truth, not self or lies. This love is for God over men. God's always first the vertical, then the horizontal. The confrontation is a mark of love, willing to tell the truth about God's sin and the need, and the need to repent. You don't have to be angry about it. You don't have to be embarrassed about it. You don't have to feel guilty about it. If God opens that door, walk through it. Share very naturally, very calmly, but passionately of their need of Christ. Notice 15 still. The Apostle Paul declared the benefit of a spiritually mature believer being a witness of the truth against deception. He says, may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. And so Paul pointed out speaking the truth in love results in ongoing spiritual growth in all things. When your child is brought home from the hospital, there's love behind it. And love continues to look after that child, to provide for that child, to, to protect that child. And, and they're growing. And that, that love is against everything that would try to destroy the child. The idea is not is to remain grounded and, uh, and um, rooted, increasing in the word in order to be stable and mature. Adult. This is in all things, mark that well, in every area of spiritual life, not only in the area of my strength and my weaknesses, but both. 
Sometimes when we depend upon our strengths, they become double weaknesses. We become overconfident. God told Paul that when he was weak, he was strong. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. So he glories in his weaknesses, not in his strengths. Once again, patience, anger, prayer, forgiveness, the word and service, my relationship with my wife, a husband, a child, friends, the hope you have in Christ Jesus, the biblical vision that you understand about the church, what it is, what it's to do, how we are to conduct ourselves, regardless of the day that we're living in, regardless of the nation, regardless of the corruption or goodness, it doesn't matter. The church is always to be the same. It never changes. The surest way to measure spiritual growth is if you live what you speak as truth. A doer, as James says. Now notice Paul pointed out this growth is in him who is the head. Another metaphor is given to us here. This refers back to verse 13. The growth of believer in the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, the head of the church, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. No one else. It is his church. Now, even the Calvary chapels, have, some of them have jumped on the emergent language. You know, they say, you know, maybe a pastor has uh, uh, the church here in Pasadena, and then he, he branches out and puts another one maybe in the next city. He says, we have campus one, campus two. And I told the people at the conference, did Jesus say, I will build my campus? Why, why would you change the word church after 2,000 years? Do you think you're smarter? What you are saying is contradiction to the word of God. It's your campus, but it's his church. Please understand that. Jesus alone is the measuring rod and the image we are to be growing in and towards in order to be conforming to the image and likeness of Christ. You're not here to be more like me. I'm not here to be more like you. We're all here to be more like Christ. He's the goal. He's the example. You know, our American society is a perfect example of infantile immaturity as they are being deceived by the false teachings of educators and leaders teaching through the public school education university, the Trojan horse to America, that we evolved. Really? Wow. That there is no God. That there are no absolutes, right or wrong, situational ethics, valid clarifications, relativity. That marriage is not for today anymore. It's not limited to one man and one woman. There are all kinds of varieties, toss salads. That wealth distribution is the way to prosper the economy. And now the lie of the pandemic. And many Christians are falling for it, going for it. And they always say, well, you know, in Romans 13 and Peter, they say, you know, we're to obey those in authority. Yeah. The non-believer that God has given the ability and authority and responsibility to punish the evil and reward the good. When they start rewarding the evil and vilifying the good, I don't submit to them. That doesn't mean I don't stop at a stop sign. I do all that, but they're not, they're, they're not my authority over me. 
goddess. Very important. One of the most important ways to assess spiritual growth is in knowing the word of God. Listen to John 1, 1 and 14. As you know, let's just say, are you able to, <clears throat> to defend the Trinity from Scripture? If somebody, if a, if a Jehovah Witness came to you, they don't believe in the Trinity, and they're saying there's only one God, not three persons, can you show them through Scripture the Trinity? Because they take John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was the God, and God was the Word. And, and, and they, they, they use the, they, a corrupt text, if there is no text like that, and they say that Jesus was a created angel and all that. It's crazy. Can you prove them wrong from the Scriptures? How about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Can you oppose those who say there's no more gifts today? Can you show them biblically in context that there is? That they didn't stop in the first century. But yet they're decent in an order and not in some kind of circus type atmosphere. Can you do that? How about refuting the denial that um, Jesus was um, um, not God or not man? Can you show them that he was both God and man? And the need of that being the last Adam, very important. Would you be able to disprove a person <clears throat> teaching that there's no rapture over the church that wouldn't go through the tribulation? That's a biggie. Wow. You need to know the word of God. Can you prove to a person who denies people not born again that they won't suffer punishment in eternity? Can you prove that they will? from the scriptures, very important. It's not your doctrine, it's not your belief, it's God's revelation. Acts seventeen eleven says, they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word of God in all readiness and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. Acts seventeen eleven. be a good Berean, always. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and always be ready to give a defense. The word apology comes from that. Okay? A defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So in other words, when somebody slanders you and says all kinds of things about you, you and I are just to live in such a way to prove them wrong. Wow. The other way to mark spiritual growth is as we yield to the love of God. Very important. The tone of our words communicate and reveal the attitude of our heart, humility, or superiority. Often, it's not the words, but the tone that we speak through. There is time and place for strong confrontation, but still the motivation is still love. There's a time when you confront your child and you know that it's just, he's growing, he's learning, so you confront him, you correct him. Um, but when he's 18, 19, and 
he's doing the thing that he should have known years ago, you get a little stronger, right? Because he's more accountable. So knowing the distinction, very important. Uh, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. Everybody has become a yes man, a yes woman today. Everybody's non-judgmental. Nobody wants to offend anybody. Listen, some of us need to be offended. Very important. Do you because you hate people or because you love them? You're concerned for their eternity. You're trying to pull the blinds out their eyes, pull them out of the fire. The love of God will always remind you and I how little we deserve his love. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. They don't always recognize his grace. They don't always recognize his good for them. But you know. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. All right? And we tell our kids this and that. I don't know my mom and dad. They just want to make my life miserable and that. The kids. You're the parent. The whole world society. Let's listen to the children. What? Yeah, they're the incredible scientists, aren't they? The kids. So moronic. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time, buying back the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Being wise, asking wisdom of God. Lord, give me the scriptures. How do I confront this? How do I deal with this? And so the resulting purpose of the gifted man is for personal witness of the truth. That's the flip side of the coin. Notice third and last here in verse 16 for proper perspective and relationship to Christ. This connects everything. The Apostle Paul declared that the reason for the spiritual growth of the believer is because of their relationship to Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. So the statement looks back to verse 15. The personal pronoun whom refers to the head, Christ. It's emphatic in the Greek. The one who orders and controls the body of the church, the corresponding metaphors we see, the head, the body. The one who is Christ, the anointed Messiah, indicating deity. The one who becomes and has become incarnate, glorified, and is sitting at the right hand of God to make intercession for us. Notice the statement includes every believer. Jesus is responsible for the constant, ongoing, organic unity of the Holy Spirit and the growth of the body of the church, the whole body. Every believer, whether in the United States, whether in Russia, it doesn't make any difference. He picked that up in chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. And so the head does not grow, but the body. The whole body reveals the oneness of the body in relationship to the head, while the members are many and diverse, as he's pointed out in chapter 4 here, verse 4 through 7. 
It's just like your body, the illustration. You have hands, feet, fingers, toes, everything else. So distinct, so diverse. So once again, the corrupt society has said diversity means, means equal. No, it doesn't. It means the same. No, it doesn't. You flunk English. Diversity means different. But the unity is in the diversity and is magnified as the Spirit of God works in the body of Christ. The whole body is interrelated, affecting one another by the phrase joint and knit together. It means to cause, to coalesce, to unite, to frame together. The phrase is a medical term, one for uh, supporting ligaments. The tense is a participle, present, middle voice, indicating the person involved is bringing this about as a participant, depending on the word of God and the spirit of God. So the middle voice always makes the individual responsible to yield to the enabling. God never calls us to do something that he doesn't prepare us and equip us for. Always. And so the whole body is interdependent also. Interrelated, we affect one another. Interdependent, we need one another. Now, one of you can say, you don't need me. I cannot say I don't need any one of you. If you're a Christian, I need you. You're part of the body. You're very important. More to Christ than to me, but I'm supposed to have the mind of Christ. And so, what every joint supplies, notice, refers to the benefit of each part by the other parts of the body. Colossians 2.19 says that. Stop and think about it. This little finger moves like this, the index finger, but it's connected to the hand. The reason it can do that is because the hand. And then the hand's connected to the wrist. And then the arm by the elbow, then the shoulder. And all these nerves go in, but they all shoot up to the head. <clears throat> if the hand says, I'm not going to obey. The hand says, I'm stopping that message. Finger will move. When we know there's nerve damage, right? There's no connection. Now, in the metaphor, it's a willful choice. So we have to be careful. Each making use of the measure of the grace, the gifts, and function according to the calling of their part in the body. Are you a finger? Are you a hand? Are you an ear? What are you? Only you can tell that as you go to the Lord. And if you're in here, then don't be talking. If you're a toe, don't be trying to grab a spoon. Be what God's called you to be, and you will be so effective, so valuable. And we're not competing against one another. There's no envy, there's no strife. In fact, we thank God for one another. Wow. Note of the Apostle Paul declared then the efficiency of the spiritual growth of the body is related to the dependency and yielding of each member of Christ. So the head first, but then the members. According to the effect of working by which every part does its share. So the portion uh, of each person is endowed by the sovereign grace of God. The word according means down from. The idea of being of capacity, not their own. 
So we start humble, but it's, will we stay there? Because too often, especially pastors or evangelists, whatever, they start believing that it's because of them that God is adding to the church and people, they think they're so great. Be careful. Don't believe the press, okay? It's because of Jesus. The portion endowed is more than efficient and sufficient to accomplish the work by the very nature of divine enablement. So you can be 100% effective if you yield to the Lord as I. God has not made defective Christians. Christians are just lazy or disobedient. But it's their choice in doing that. The head Christ and the body being one orderly, effectively. Not one part of my body has ever told my head what to do. It just doesn't go. Why would then such would be the case in Christians' lives? Well, you know, I've been praying for God to you know, drag me by his will, but then you turn around and you do your own will. And we rationalize it and we explain our way, we justify it, and we move things around to, you know, show it was God. But then time runs and then we're crying out, why would God do this? He didn't do it, you did it. it happens all the time. So again, the portion has to be cultivated, yielded to you, to be true to the calling of God. The word there, share, means every member does his or her part. Once again, the illustration of the body. Again, the evidence of growth, thinking of the others and the benefit of the body as a priority, not self. The whole problem in our society is selfishness. It's in nature. Jeremiah 79, the heart of man is deceitful, just be wicked. The apostle declared the activity of the body, notice in turn, results in more growth of the whole body. Causes growth of the body for the edification of itself in love. So Christ-centeredness of each believer is the key to growth effectiveness of the body. Self-centeredness looks out for oneself. Self-centeredness limits self. Every individual drawing their source from Christ, the head in whom are also, you also, being built together as the dwelling place of God in the spirit, Ephesians 2.22 said. In 3.7, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Ephesians 5.18, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit constantly. Ephesians 6, 10, 11. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the strategies of the devil. We are well equipped, ladies and gentlemen. Am I being obedient? Am I being a tenacious warrior? That's the question. And when God does his glorious work in us, no one can boast. In fact, we are very quick to give him the glory if we're really mature. The mutual concern of the body for each other is a mark of being spiritually mature in Christ. The motive of every member is for the edification notice of itself in love. Once again, edification means the, the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christ and by Christ. 
reckoning the old man dead, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, all the way to the end of chapter 8 of Romans, reckoning the old man. The mark of carnality is concerned with edifying oneself. You know, like the person says, you know, I'm tired about talking about me. What do you think about me? Look at our society. It's nauseating. Everybody's so confident in themselves. They just uh, love themselves. Wow. The motive, once again, is stated. Notice, love. This, again, is God's agape love, the purest of all. The motive is the benefit of others. The word appears 20 times in the epistle in its various forms. It's only six little chapters. 20 times. Notice Paul did not sacrifice or compromise doctrine for the sake of love. Both are needed. Doctrine is the content of the truth we believe and love is the motive that communicates and protects doctrine. Love for God. As every believer of our a member of our body is indebted to the head. So Christ. You can't get away from the metaphor. It's just very, very simple, very clear, very universal. No one will never not understand it. That's how clear it is. What a great privilege we have had in the last 42 years to see many of you grow, mature, raise your families, to go through difficult times, illness or finances or whatever. And we've seen you steadfast in the faith and growing and be an asset to the body. Amazing. What a well-coordinated body we have witnessed through the various things that we do, the outreaches, the concerts, the medical outreaches, uh, whatever goes on through the years, always the abortion ministry, the witnessing on the streets, the, uh, the different uh, conferences that go on, well-coordinated. We really don't ask for people. We just tell people what's going to be happening and we let God raise the people up and put it together. It's amazing to me. No one's more surprised in this church than us who are on staff. When we don't want to change nothing, God's done an incredible work. What a blessing the people of God have been to uh, myself and the staff at Pasadena. You guys are an incredible example to us. That's great. And all of this has been due to each person yielding to the head Christ, which is the most clear perspective that is needed completely. Let me give you two scriptures of Jesus as we close. By this all, we'll know that you are my disciples if you have agape love for one another, John 13, 35. The others in John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Love and doctrine. Very, very important. Not one at the expense of the other, as is being taught in the majority of churches, Christian colleges, and seminaries and now even the world. And what it ends up is focusing on man. You notice all the new commercials on TV and different forms of communication about therapy, psychology, psychiatry, mental health. Wow. 
it's all the 70s all over again, the 80s all over again. And so the resulting purpose of the gifted man is for proper perspective in relationship to Jesus Christ, the bottom line. He's the one. And so remember these um, last three purposes of the gifted man given to the church. They deal with deception. The resulting purpose of the gifted man is for the protection against false teaching. The resulting purpose of the gifted man is for personal witness of the truth. And the resulting purpose of the gifted man is for proper perspective in relationship to Jesus Christ. Always. Not your pastor, not the elders, but Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love and goodness. We love you. We thank you for just your word and that, Father, we can study, we can know with certainty, Lord, of what you teach and what you want us to know and believe. And so, Lord, we pray for those that are here, perhaps do not know you, that you would speak to their hearts. Their need of salvation to repent of their sins, that you died for them, you loved them, and that you alone can forgive them, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Jesus always asks a public confession. If you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me, I will deny you. It's not a threat. It's just a promise. It's just the way it is. Every person in hell right now is not blaming God for being there. They know they send themselves there by rejecting Jesus Christ before they die. God gives you a lifetime. How many opportunities? Only God knows. But today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Whether you're here or over the Internet. If you want to be born again, this is a simple prayer of repentance. You're asking God to forgive you and to make you his son or daughter by grace through faith. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.